Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I welcome Dean Jarvis to the show, and we discuss the credibility equation. Dean has a wealth of knowledge and experience, both as a frontline technician and as a reliability and maintenance engineer in the back. He has seen it all, and it is an absolute pleasure to talk to him and get his viewpoints on what it actually means to be an expert and what makes a leader a credible leader and how we can spot the frauds. Before we get to our episode, quick message from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. I am really excited to introduce you to one of our sponsors, Electra Learning, and we've got Neil Summers here to tell us a little bit about it. So, Neil, tell me, what is Electra Learning? Hey, Stephen. Well, Electra partners with organizations to encourage supported change and business improvement through learning development. In short, we ensure that you get the best out of your team through sustainable training practices. We have extensive experience with major oil and gas, utility, mining, and manufacturing clients, and as a result, come to our clients with a clear understanding of the best way to ensure new systems are used most effectively. In particular, we specialize in the IBM asset management software Maximo and also in Microsoft 365. That's great, Neil. Now I can hear from your accent you're not from my locale. Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you come from and uh, what got you here today? Well, Electra has been in the UK for 24 years, so we're a well-established business there. I came to Canada in 2013 to set up our first North American office. My background in project management set me up really well to be able to identify a gap in the market, providing something that wasn't being done before. That's fantastic, Neil. Why don't you tell me a little about what has made you and Electra so successful and allowed you to expand so broadly? Well, training is people-based. The ability to make that connection between people and the software tool has been the key to our success. Our practical toolkit with comprehensive materials and templates and a variety of learning options such as live classroom training, web-based virtual training, one-to-one coaching, e-learning, as well as other services such as project and change management can all be applied and tailored to meet our client requirements. You can find out more about our service offerings by checking out our website, electrolearning.com. That's great, Neil, and thank you for supporting our podcast. All our listeners out there, make sure you go and check out Electra's website and see what they have to offer. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I have Dean Jarvis um, with me from, um, you're in Brisbane, aren't you, Dean? I'm in Townsville, actually, north of Brisbane. North of Brisbane. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Um, Before we get started, uh, why don't you give us a brief uh, overview of who you are, where you've been, where you're going? Brief. Oh, that's going to be hard. So I've been 36 years in the maintenance game. 
Um, I started my apprenticeship in 85 at a paper mill in northwest Tassie. Um, basically, on and off over the last 36 years, I've been working mainly in the mining industry. Around about 2010, 11, um, I started on an academic journey as well because I had a lot of experience in maintenance, but I wanted, um, I thought if I was going to affect change in the maintenance area, I'd have to get some academia behind me. So I did, uh, I had a mine manager at the time who, who pressurised me <laughs> into doing uni. And so I went and did grad cert, then I did grad dip, and then I did masters. So I completed masters um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, that's the long story short, really. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think, I think that history with this topic that we're cover, covering today is really important because um, um, what what we've to, what we're covering today is around the credibility piece and, and what what that means and what makes somebody credible. And I think this is a, an issue that we have in in more than just maintenance and reliability is what makes something credible and what makes it a good resource and when is something you should listen to it and when when not to kind of thing. Um, so I think this is really important. And I think that history that you said there, that experience and that education piece and those things combined really lead to I, I think a good conversation around this topic. So um, just to dive right in, um, I, I know you have some thoughts on credibility. So I, I just want to throw it to you to see, to get your initial spiel on it. Well, well this, this was a result of my study. So I went down the rabbit hole in the uh, graduate certificate, uh, not the grad cert, the grad diploma. Really got into, I did a psychological component of maintenance and it really resonated for me because the research that I did uh, for that particular section of uni was really got me to understand some of the problems and the problems that we have in, in maintenance are human problems. We're dealing with human, you know, the, the human animal. And the thought occurred to me over the years that when I worked with bunches of men, if the person standing up in front of them didn't fit the credibility equation, it didn't matter what that person did, they couldn't affect change. I also saw the opposite of that, and I saw the opposite of that was when the guy standing up in front leading a bunch of men to affect change has credibility, people would jump off a cliff at him. So I saw the two things, and they were diametrically opposed, and I looked at that dichotomy and I thought, well, what is it? What is it about the credibility equation? And then I started to tack some other things onto it. So three things started to stand out to me. There was a credibility authenticity and emotional intelligence because usually when you look at the credibility equation which is your relevant industry experience and breadth and depth of experience um, and you look at your uh, your authenticity that that feeds into your authenticity because the person is authentic and they come across as authentic because no matter what they talk on a subject you can tell that they're real because they've been there and done that and then the third one was uh, emotional intelligence. And usually these guys are extremely emotionally intelligent people. So I began to look at that as an equation. So if you've got three parts of that equation, how do you satisfy all three parts of that equation? And typically what I've seen over the years, in the last 30 odd years, is slowly but surely we're accepting less and less on that front of our maintenance leaders. 
and you're getting people in there without the credibility, without the emotional intelligence, without the authenticity, because they come from all these diverse backgrounds and say, oh, yeah, well, he can do the job. And I really noticed this in the mid-tier sort of, sort of uh, as you call it, uh, the superintendent maintenance level. People with no relevant industry experience are now leading a group of men and expecting those men to, to affect change. And it really didn't happen. It never happened. But also saw the flip side when the guy standing up there satisfy that credibility equation, lots of really cool stuff happened. And I began to see that as an energy and a synergy. And usually the great leaders, the great guys who know how to do this and have their credibility and authenticity and emotional intelligence intact, they tap into the men that they lead and get their solutions from them. So they're using a collective intelligence model. They're leading a bunch of guys. They realise in that collective intelligence of those guys, if you add up the years of experience, it can be hundreds or even thousands of years, and they tap into that and affect change. And I thought that was really cool, uh, a really cool observation. And when you, it's really, quite frankly, it's disappointing to see when the person hasn't got credibility, they try their hearts out and they can't get anywhere. And so if you're wondering why your maintenance organisation is stalling, have a look at your leadership. Is it credible? Are they authentic? Do they have emotional intelligence? And if they don't, well, isn't time to change that? Now, this is a really messy conversation because people go, well, who are you to judge that? Well, you don't have to judge it. People know quality when they see it. You know a quality human being when you meet one. You know a quality leader when you meet one. You just know it. Like, you can look comes down to simple things in observational life. If you, you know what quality is, you can go into a, a push bike store and you can pick out a really quality push bike. You just know it's got all the right components, it's sweet, you know, like it's well made. Or you can buy the $100 one from Kmart. You know, the, the different, we know what quality is. We don't need a lesson in it. It's an innate sense that humans have. And it's really powerful. And there's a whole bunch of things that go with that because if if you've got your credibility, your authenticity and your emotional intelligence intact, then there's some spin-offs from that. And those spin-offs are um, competence, reliability, empathy and integrity. These are trustworthiness traits. So now you can trust the person. They've got, they are competent, they're reliable, they show empathy and they have integrity because they see things through to the end. So I began to see that as an equation too. So if you tie those seven things together, you're in a pretty good place. And I, I wish people would give more airtime to this because if you're, if, if you're in a workplace and you've got, say you've got multiple assets and these are big assets and they're big money-making assets, if you haven't got the right people in the right place, what's it costing the company? People say, well, it's, it's very hard to quantify. Well, it's damn easy to quantify. Start to see where all the waste is. Start to see where all the, the problems are. And is that, in fact, a, a, a fault of people that lack credibility and authenticity? Damn right it is. And it's a conversation worth having. And this is just observational stuff. These are purely my opinions. They don't represent the opinion of anyone else. But after 36 years of observational intelligence, if you observe enough stuff over time, that becomes data, yeah? So I began to see the data in all this. And so I wrote a paper for um, my great diploma that linked emotional intelligence to changes in the maintenance organisation. 
And so um, I'd actually be glad to share that with anyone who wants to read it. Any yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll uh, send me the link and I'll make sure that's in the podcast notes, uh, a link to that paper or, or how to get that paper. Um, and so this is, this is a really important topic. And, you know, the, the previous host of this show, Rob, Rob Kalrowski, he, he saw this same issue that we have and it, it brought him to jump into his leadership launchpad project and um, to, to really try and affect change in this space. And it's really, really funny. Cause so my wife is, my wife is a psychologist and child psychologist. So uh, I always say that she'd fit in perfectly with, with us maintenance people. Um, but uh, she, she asked me the other day, she's like, well, why do most pieces of equipment fail? And I'm like, wow, there's, you know, there's a, there's a, your few common things, there's misalignment, you know, rattled off a bunch of stuff. And she's like, well, why does that happen? And I was like, okay, I know where you're going with this. Like it's obviously it comes down to the, the people level. It's that systemic, that, that hu- the human issue. And then what enables those people to, to make those decisions that they make. And then I was, and then she was like, well, does your organization or any organization really in, in Canada, um, have a psychologist on staff. And I was like, well, no, there's, there's barely enough psychologists to provide the, the mental health services that we need here, let alone, let yeah. alone sit there and help us with our organizational structure and some of our organizational problems. But it really highlighted a good point because, um, you know, that, that skill set and like, it was like ultimately like 90, 95% of failures are come down to a human human cause like very few are actual physical product defects and if you dig into those there's probably something else wrong at the factory or something else it's definitely easier to control those physical root causes and and those physical causes of the failure but if you want to make that meaningful change and solve a wide variety of your failures you got to boil down to that systemic and, and and human area um and so she asked me about this and and australia's surprisingly more advanced in this space than I think we are in North America, where there are more organizational psychologists in industry specifically. Like, you know, you have a lot of the the new age uh, type technology companies employ that stuff a lot better than we do in, I think, what we call the macho industries. Um, You know, mining, construction, manufacturing, those types of things. And so it's, you know, it, it's a problem that we don't think about. And then, so to bring, bring it back to kind of what you were saying there, like uh, in the credibility piece and the credibility of the leaders is, you know, how are we setting up and how are we communicating to our teams that this person is the right leader and making sure that they actually are the right leader? Because I see, you know, I see all sorts of people get fast-tracked through companies, um, they get in a leadership position. They're there for two years. They go on, they make some sweeping change, but nothing ever sticks. And like that breeds a certain type of culture that can be really hard to deal with. Um, And so like when we're looking at a credit, a credible leader, how do you build that engagement with your team and start to set up uh, particularly with the frontline people, but but everybody within a maintenance organization, how do you, what do you need to communicate to them, especially if you are a new leader coming in, uh, that that you are good at your job, 
Um, okay, so I, I can answer that actually very simply because, first of all, when, say, uh, I can give an example. I once went to a workshop and I had what, 35, 40 people in it and I got the job of the facility manager for about four months there. And the guys knew my background. They knew that I was a fitter. They knew that I'd worked on all of the machines that they were working on. They knew that I'd worked in the Caterpillar factory in Tasmania and I put a number of machines together. Um, they knew about the academic piece. But to, to add further to that, my engagement with those guys uh, had some surprising benefits. So I remember one of the guys, that particularly the most knowledgeable man there who really does know the machines inside out, upside down, come to me and said, I love you here, Dino. I said, what is that? He said, because I can talk to you about the most complex hydraulic or electrical problem on that machine and you know what I'm talking about because invariably I would have dabbled with those problems in the past. And so this, this was the credibility equation. I've chewed the same bird as him. I've done the same things as him and I could talk his language. So what we're doing is in society right now, we're elevating all this leadership stuff, which is great, but if I'm going to, if these guys are going to respect me as a leader, they've got to know they can come and talk to me about any damn thing. It would be a real pity if that same guy had come to me and started talking and saying, mate, I don't know anything about that, but, you know, I've done all these leadership courses and I've done this and that course and, and, and I have all these uh, diplomas in management, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, that's great and that's wonderful, but are you credible in the eyes of your, your subordinates? So you've got to satisfy that. Now, that is really difficult because... Everyone can hear people screaming now, but you don't need that. You don't need that. Damn right, you don't need it. But tell you what, makes your life a, bit, a lot better if you do. <laughs> so that was a joyous experience. Another guy, the second most senior guy in that shed, come up to me and said, Dino, if you ever leave, tell me where you're going because I'll come and work for you anytime. So this, this is the main, this is the experiences you can have if you build your equation over time. So because I began to see my equation is something that I needed to build over decades. I needed, you know, so if I look back on the 90s and then the noughties and then the teens and the things I did in those decades, that's got me to here. That gets, so I have my credibility equation intact. Now, I haven't done any everything and I'm not, I've been every man, where man, I'm not that guy. But the things I've done, I've done. And I can bring them, that's what I bring to the table. So if you think about two tables, so this is the credibility equation in a nutshell. If, if you've got two candidates for a job, say a maintenance superintendent, let's let's go straight to it, and you've got two candidates, one, say, with my background, where I've actually worked on a heap of surface underground equipment, an academic background, and I can pile all that on a table. So I put all that on the table in front of all the men, and then on the other table I, I pile all the qualifications of a guy, no relevant industry experience, no academia, no nothing, but just comes, gets the job because of some or perhaps whatever, which is a more credible person. It's really simple. It's really simple. Who's the more credible guy? Now, I see mining companies typically leaning towards the guy who's got nothing on the table, but he happens to know someone or he gets there through some leverage or whatever the hell, and it doesn't do the organisation one ounce of good. It, 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 it actually hurts the organisation. If you start to employ people at that level with credibility, um, your organisation is going to zoom. It's going to zoom to the top. That person's going to go in there and fix what's wrong. He's going to look at all the equipment and go, what are your top ten causes of failure? Oh, yeah, okay. 
Uh, what's, what are our supply problems? Oh, we haven't got bombs. Okay, we can fix the bombs. Uh, if you've got instructions, oh, no, we better write some work instructions and boom, you, you're credible. But the guy that's got no backgrounds, well, then they know where to start. So the credibility equation, picture two tables and who's got what on the table. Very simple. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at, so, so like you said, you've got two managers. Uh, that's not always an option. Somebody that has um, the proper education, all the background, all the years of experience. But being a good leader isn't just about having having the experience and having having the education either. It's also about being able to enable your team members around you and yeah. and your and everybody that's within your organization to provide you solutions. So you know, I really yeah. like what you said. You're able to have a conversation with with you, with the team, with the with the fitters, the mechanics, um, about the issue that were they were having, and you know you've got the great good experience of having done a lot of those jobs before, and like you said, you haven't done all those jobs, but you got to understand the bits, right? You got to understand the bearings, the gears, you know what they're working with on a day to day basis, and yeah. and you know at the end of the day, it's it's those same bits, just orient arranged a little differently, right? And yeah. for for any piece of equipment, and so you need to understand that. You need to understand how they how they do the job. Better yeah. yet, if you've done the job, that makes it even even better. And you know, we had um, we had another gentleman on the show, Dylan Day. He he was a a millwright in Canada. I'm not sure what the equivalent is around the world, but um, he's he works on fixed equipment and. And he was talking about, you know, to build that credibility within maintenance staff, whether it's a leader or just a junior engineer or somebody, go out onto the into the field with with the guys and turn wrenches with them. Do that work. Like you don't have to be a fitter or a mechanic necessarily. Like That's everybody's right. career paths go differently. Like um, I went straight into engineering, and frankly, yeah. you don't want me turning <laughs> a lot of a lot of wrenches, um, yeah. but I love to go out the, there. You just addressed a good point, though. So you can satisfy the, the credibility equation through a number of channels. I satisfied it by actually doing the, uh, the physical work and mm. and then a bunch of leadership stuff in the last 10 years and in academic stuff. But if, if, you're a, if you're on site and you find that through an honest self-assessment that you're found wanting, yeah, by all means, pull the overalls on, go with the guys, spend a couple of weeks with the fitters, spend a couple of weeks with the, uh, the the guys that look after the loaders and diggers, a couple of weeks with the truck guys, a couple of weeks with the drill guys, because they're all different beasts as well. You know, you, you've got different people with, with different makeup. You know, drill fitters are going to be different to a guy that works on a truck all day, I tell you that right now. And and the digger, uh, the guys that get really into diggers and big diggers and, and underground diggers, they're they're a breed of their own. The drill fitters, underground underground drill fitters, they're a special breed. Uh, those guys love fast excitement. Get out there, fix it, get it drilling. Now there's all these people. You have got to understand the people you're working with too. And so, once again, it comes back to credibility. How credible are you? Do you know the types of people that you're working with? Or they're all just fitters. They're all just electricians. No, they are not. They are completely different fitters and there are completely different electricians and there are completely different plumbers. And you've got to know who's who. I had an underground drill team once and I was running a contract 
And I sat with Clarkie, the guy who was running them, and we we had a big, deep conversation about this. And he said, Dean, he said, the guy who's the biggest risk taker in his personal life, so the guy that jumps out of aeroplanes and does jet skiing and races cars, he said, if he's a drill fitter, I put him on breakdowns because that guy loves hard and fast and let's get out and get it done. And he said, the guys that are just conservative, that might have a few at-home hobbies and live a quiet life, if he's a drill fitter, he said, I'm going to put him in the workshop. Why would I put him out there with the fast stuff? He doesn't like that. So once again, credibility equation. Clarky, Clarky is one of the most credible guys I know. He's, he's just an astounding leader and it was an astounding Way of why he looks at things and his product knowledge is second to none. So, you know, it this all feeds back into credibility, um, one way or another. Yeah, and uh, you know, I really, really like this topic because, um, it, when we're talking about that, and you need to, and you said at the beginning, you've said it a few times, you need to understand your team and mm-hmm. you need to know this guy, he's good at this set of work he enjoys this type of work and enable it like there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are on the front line that are really interested in moving into the office and doing doing planner scheduler whatever role it might be um and there's not a lot of organizations out there that actually provide a trial period for that Mm -hmm. um and so like if you have somebody that's you know you need a progression plan of some sort for, for all your employees. And for a lot of people on the floor, that's their progression plan. They want to go to the office. They, they weren't enabled to do education early on or, or whatever it was. So um, yeah. it's, easy, it's easier to go and be a fitter or a mechanic right out of school. And, you know, 10 years down the road, that might not be where, where they want to go. So how do you help those people enable those people um, to take the step that uh, like you took, I think, more of an extreme step, uh, taking getting the bachelor's degree and then the master's degree. Like that is, that's obviously a lot of education and, and not necessarily for everybody. But how do you help encourage the people that, you know, want to move into, move off the floor, off the tools? And how do you enable that transition so that they can do that successfully and enjoy their work afterwards? Because I know a lot that do that transition and regret that they left the union, lost their seniority, and now they're sitting there in a planner's office and they're stuck. <laughs> okay, so first of all, you've got, to, you've got to understand the purpose of the end game. So usually if a guy's transitioning from the workshop floor through that progression system, what's his end game? Does he just want to be um, stuck there and painted into a corner because he bears that risk? If he's doing it to build a skill set, um, a credibility skill set to move further, well, that's a different game entirely. So you've got to understand his spirit and his motive and his, his intent. Uh, if his spirit, motive and intent are intact and he, this guy's on the right path, then by all means mentor him. And then you as a leader have to make sure he gets all the stuff that he needs to get there. Because putting, putting someone into a planner's role saying, right, you're on your own, learn from the other planners, see you later, uh, that's kind of, that's not mentoring people, that's abandoning people, that's throwing people in the deep end and saying, now swim for your life, son, go for it. And that's fine. A lot of people can do that and survive that. But that's not the way to deal with intelligent people. If that guy's intelligent and he wants to progress, by all means, let him learn the planning process, which, you know, what could take what? two to five years because, you know, planning, scheduling, parts, that whole thing, it's quite a complex little beast. 
he gets good at it, right, now where do you want to go? What, what's your next role? And, and help them progress. And if that's going in our country, we call it a graduate certificate, if you can sign him up to something like that and get a taste for academia and then start to look at more challenging roles for him. But typically that's what I just described as Nirvana, you know, that's the ideal. I haven't really seen a lot of that in my life. Fortunately, I've been mentored by a bunch of really good men over my lifetime. I still continue to be mentored by great people like Raf Dewar and Steve Dixon. I have to mention these people because they're just superb humans. Um, and a, a number of others that I just can't go into right now. It's too many, but and still to this day have phone calls with these people to help me. So you've got to understand helping these people and then also when you're in that role, you've got to help yourself. You've got to be hungry. So there's a hunger component to this. The person has to be hungry for it. They have to want to strive to be better, not just hit a plateau and go, that'll do. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I admire people that do that, but if the guy's hungry and he wants more, um, we've got to spot those special people in our organisations and help them because typically that guy is going to build his credibility equation given enough time. And typically he's going to go on and do some great things. Um, we've just got to help him along the way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another issue that that's related to the this whole topic, when we, a lot of organizations, and I see it far too often in the mining industry, is when somebody gets really good at their job, their leader or more more accurately their manager does not want to let them go, does not want to let them progress because they have somebody that's so successful in their job. If they promote them, they're not going to get that same skill set within, within that role. And, you know, I think this, uh, this, this problem in really, when you look at a credible leader, credible leaders don't do this. And at least in my mind, they don't, um, you know, the, you have to put in a certain amount of time before you you get your promotion or something, um, and, and you you have to learn that role and, and earn the next step. And it's not just handed to you. But at the same time, you need to. You can't keep somebody in the same job for five years if they've maxed out their capacity. They're doing that job great. You're getting the most value you can out of that person in that role. There's no satisfaction, and I can see that. I've seen that just destroy culture because that person slowly starts to, they, they hit that peak of performance and then they yeah. slowly decline and you see their, their mental state decline, their, their headspace. And, and yeah. So what are your thoughts on, on that? And, you know, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of things. So I live my life by the ownership rule. So I own my life. And I don't have other people direct the narrative of my life. My life is mine and I direct it how I want. I work for my employer because I choose to. And if I feel I've maxed out my capacity and I can't get anywhere, rather than take that to heart and, go, and you know, drop my mood and get all glum and get all, I go, well, okay, these people can't give me the work that will keep me engaged. I'll find it elsewhere. And so you have to take you have to take ownership of your life. So if you're that guy and you've built your credibility equation and you're at the top and you're singing along nicely, but you've hit that ceiling in that organization, it's time for you to leave. 
because you will stay there, you will stay stuck and you will hate it. So leave before you hate it. Take ownership of that. Don't become a victim. Become an empowered owner of your own life. Own your life. Own that stuff. If something bad is happening at work, own it. So, yep, I'm stuck. The boss won't promote me um, because he loves what I'm doing or the boss won't promote me because he's threatened by me. That's the flip side of this. Uh, If either of those shitty things happen, start looking. Own your life. There's plenty of work out there. It's not like there's a shortage. They're crying out for people in most places. The, the demand for high-level people is bigger than ever before, um, especially in this country. I don't know if you're feeling it there, but we're getting a lot of demand. So yeah, don't be a victim. Same in Canada. <laughs> Sorry? It's the, it's the same in Canada. Yeah. If, you, if you're not going to keep, you know, it's fantastic. My, my current employee, which I won't name, but... He knows that <laughs> we've had those conversations. Oh, Dino, I'm worried you'll leave if I can't keep with this. I said, oh, I'm not leaving. Well, I'm engaged and happy and while I'm doing it. But if ever it got bad, I'd be man enough to phone him up and say, mate, I've hit a ceiling. I'm done. I need something else. And that's my life. That's my story. Don't, don't blame other people. You, you get out there and you get after it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and... I've definitely, we've definitely had a few people on the show and, you know, they've had, we've asked that question in a, in a, in a few different ways. And it's, you know, and I just had this conversation the other day, not with somebody in my organization, uh, but they were like, look, I, you know, I've been at this place, I've been there for, you know, 10, 20 years, whatever it might be. And, you know, I like it, but it's just, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And I'm like, look, like, just, just look. You, you can throw out a resume. You don't even have to take it. Have the conversation. Like there is, there's no commitments there, but you get to see what else is out there. And it is going to improve both where you're at mentally. You, you'll understand your value. And, yeah. and then you know that you're in control, that you're choosing to stay where you're at or you're yeah. choosing to go. And it's just that point. It's taking control of your life. Sorry, go ahead. You think about that. I think this is a wonderful topic. I want to go down the rabbit hole on this one because if you just say you you do nothing and you stay miserable and you stay there, you will never know what your true worth is because you haven't expanded your horizon. And consequently, your employer will never know your value unless you're conspicuous by your absence. So the guy that that guy on my side that does everything, he's been there 20 years and everyone runs to him for everything and he just does everything. There's no better way to quantify his value than when he's missing. And that guy leaves, everyone goes, oh shit, what he did all that way. Oh, we're missing him. We need him back, you know, and I've seen this happen. And that's when his value equation goes up. He understands his value, but also the organization understands his value. The organization starts to get it. Because typically organizations will take these high operators, high end operators for granted. Oh, he's been here for 20 years, he does all that stuff, just give it to him. And and no better way than be conspicuous by your absence. And sometimes that's a worthwhile thing to do in your own life. Because this is about you. Really, if you start talking about it, it really comes down to in individual. You've got to go, okay, I'm not valued. I'm feeling like crap. I hate this job. 
go and discover something else. Go and do something else. Go and learn a new skill. Go and challenge yourself. Be quite literally, this is true. I was interested in Saturn Master Day, and I didn't know what the hell it was. I really didn't. I, I started to dabble in it. I started to do some work instructions. I met Steve Dixon, and I said, do you, can you teach this to me? And he looked at me and said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, in 16 years I've taught people, he said, I've only ever had two people stick the course. Well, two, nearly three years later, I'm still learning from Steve. But I challenged myself and I made myself learn. I pushed my boundaries because I didn't want to stay comfortable. I wanted uncomfortable to be my new normal because right out there in that forefront of uncomfortable is where all the good shit happens. That's where the fun is. Not many people are willing to take that risk. So if, if, you, if you want something, go for it. But be prepared to be uncomfortable and be prepared to be challenged and feel like you're not enough and that you'll never get there. Enjoy, start to enjoy that because unless you do, you will always stay where you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a really good tip. And I think, I think on the flip side of that too, it's important to outline that it's okay to be content as well. Like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you mentioned that fitter that, you know, he, he's got, he's got the family at home, you know, that family life is, is probably the most important thing. And the job just enables the family life. And he's, he's happy just going and doing his job every day, going home. Well, There's nothing wrong with that. Let's look at that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That is absolutely acceptable. But when I said, when we started looking at knowing your team and, knowing individuals, when I look at myself and understand what sort of person I am, I'm not happy with that. That's not me. I can't stay 20 years in a job. Gee, I just can't do it. But the guy that can, I look at them and I admire them. I wish I was like that. I wish I could calm down and just be happy. But, no, I have to push boundaries all the time. That's me. But that's me. I, I like that stuff. I'm in touch with that, yeah? Um, so get in touch with yourself understand yourself. And, and, and direct your life accordingly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I totally agree yeah. with you. Absolutely. Now, I, I do want to pivot the conversation a little bit because there, there's a topic that um, I'm pretty passionate about. Like, um, I, I, do, I went to university and, and my wife's doing a PhD, so, or just wrapping up her PhD. So, like, I've got a bit of a, um, view on what's a credible source just coming from that world of academia and talking to my wife endlessly about her sources. Um, and I think it's really important to understand this too, because we have a lot of people that come in and they present themselves as very credible people. They come in with confidence. They come in, uh, they come in guns blazing. You do this, you do this, you do this. And I think it's really important to understand what that background is, where they get their information back to kind of our original conversation there, because how, how often do we have these, these leaders pointing us in directions? And I think this is why we have a lot of problems in maintenance and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that we have people that feel they really understand maintenance well, but what they understand is is not actually what's appropriate. So somebody who's been in both worlds um, uh, in terms of being on the front line, doing the firefighting aspect, and then, you know, doing what you're doing now, 
um, taking the longer approach in understanding that life cycle aspect. How do you how do you start to manage these conflicting conflicting messages, and how do you start getting people to understand the right way to do it, and what's what's like uh, you know the right person to listen to, the right source? Well, once again, there's a there's a part of the human psyche that innately understands quality. Now, quality becomes when you look at say someone has a bunch of things they want to do on a mine site for the maintenance team, and if each one of those is based in clear logic and common sense, and you can test it with good science and common sense, then by all means do it. But if this is just someone trying to operate something to a budget to gain some credibility or some leverage or to get their next bonus, that, that's two different ways of approaching things, yeah? And usually warning signs for me are if the person saying these things uh, has no relevant industry experience, no background, they might have uh, got their advice from God knows who but have never actually done it, that would be like a litmus test for me. Um, the other thing is, what if the guy has no credibility but comes in with some fantastic ideas? Well, by all means, if they're fantastic ideas, just because he hasn't got the relevant background but he's, he's got some sort of a brain process that enables him to come up with good stuff, by all means, listen to him. But isn't it better if the person has the credibility equation, they've done it in the past, and then they're offering up their common sense based on that 10, 20, 30 years back here. And don't forget, but say, say, take myself, for example, I've learned a lot through failure. <laughs> I've failed many times and miserable and learned and gone, well, you know, that didn't go so well, did it? Mm, what do I learn? I won't do that again. And so usually a person that's going to, a person that's failed a lot, I think has quite a bit to offer. Person's farming all the time, or obviously that's not cool. But if he's had a number of failures with a number of wins, like a 50-50 mix, this guy's has got a lot, um, he's got a lot of firepower, he's got a lot of understanding. But getting back to your question, how to separate it, there's a couple of things, good things that people do. You've got to ask the right questions, right? You've got to ask the right people, then then you've got to hear the right voice. Then you have to test it with uh, good science and common sense and also have a good threat warning radar. Those are five important things. So the threat warning radar is usually that if someone's offering up something and it doesn't sound right and it doesn't mess where the business is going and it's contrary to standard um, uh, maintenance or established maintenance practice, um, if that threat warning radar is pinging, well, it's pinging for a reason and you have to listen to it. And... Um, it's it's really not that hard. I think we overcomplicate this. Um, it's pretty easy if you stand up in front of a group of people and say, this is what we're going to do, and it's actually laughable. Everyone looks at one another and goes, who is this guy? What What's this nonsense? Yeah? And I, I was on a mind side when that happened. Guy got up, spoke a lot of nonsense, he left the room, and everyone went, who, what the hell was that? Who is this joker? Right? True story. 100 people in the room. They all said it. But there you go. Doesn't take much to pick it, eh? Because everyone's morning radar went off and go, no, none of that made sense. Hmm. Does that answer yeah. your question? 
<laughs> yeah, it does. You know, I, like, and it's, and it's such a pervasive issue in just, you know, even outside of maintenance and society, you have, you know, you have these people pushing so many different things and, and, and they're not a credible person to actually do it. Like, um, anyways, I don't want, I don't need to go into specifics about it, but like, we know like that science is important. Like maintenance is based off of science and everything that we do yes. is it is science like engineering is a science and it, it's putting things together and how things work and so we need to make sure that we're trusting that and we can trust that process and i know that process for a lot of people is often frustrating that that test and yeah. you know the trial and error and track you got to set things up so that you can actually learn from these things too many times i've seen you know those people come in here's 15 ideas throw a bunch of things at the wall, see what sticks by the time you actually see any results of them. They're long gone. They've either got a promotion. They did something. You're just a stepping stone on the way and you're left to deal with the mess to clean up. And so I think it's really important that if, you know, whatever role you might be in, whether it's a mechanic or fitter or, or manager, like you are prepared yourself and you know, the fundamentals of how to, to look at something and understand if it's a success and like getting that education on, you know, so you can build that, I call it a bullshit meter. <laughs> yeah. um, so that you can understand when somebody comes in and is trying to push something on you and like, you know, in, in the role I'm in now, I talk to a lot of different vendors and, you know, you can pretty quickly see through the ones that actually don't know what they're talking about and are pushing just yeah. some garbage um, compared to, Compared to the ones that really genuinely have a solution that they know is going to help help your problems. Um, anyway, I think I'm going on some sort of rant. I guess it's the per perks of having a podcast. I get to rant as much as I, I want, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know, it, it's such an issue. And I think uh, through, through COVID and everything that's come out that it's been really brought into the light how much influence people have. <laughs> But this, you, you've just stimulated me by um, what you just said. So typically anyone who's affecting really good, meaningful change in the maintenance space are driven by the granularity concept. I'll say that again. People that are, uh, that are introducing really good stuff into the maintenance space are driven by the granularity concept. And the granularity is let's get the small things right. So if, you, if, if I was walking to a workshop that was a service workshop, again, have we standardised the work? Have we separated the breakdown from the actual service? Have we got bills of materials or bonds that turn up in boxes and every damned last nut bolt and washer is in that box? If it's not, that's not acceptable. We have to fix it. It's granularity. And typical people aren't good at granularity because granularity is a goddamn grind. You have to grind and grind and grind to get granularity. So let's say we go down the granularity path, we walk into a workshop, let's get all the work instructions. What is it? It's CAT 797. Okay, what are we doing to the engine and powertrain? What do we do to the final drives? What do we do to the hoist, the cylinders, the braking systems, the electrical systems? What do we do? Have we got that documented? No. Do we have every single part? So say I want to do a wiring loom change out. Is every damn wiring loom to that model there with every nut, bolt, washer, clamp. No, well, not acceptable. 
it's not acceptable. So you've got to go down the granularity path. You've got to get granular with your concepts. Go down the granularity path because once you go through that complexity, you arrive at simplicity. Go through complexity into simplicity. Now, on a mind site, the guy that gets up there and says, oh, we'll do all this, it's simple. I'm calling bullshit. It's not simple. Simple things are enhanced by the granularity at the bottom of them. So once I get the granularity taken care of and all the nuts, bolts, washes, all the processes, all the pictures, all the instructions, and it's all sitting there, now I have simplicity. They go to the box, they open it up, there's the set of instructions with all the pictures relevant to that model. Okay, I'm going to change this wiring loom. Okay, is that the... Talking about a temperature sensor wiring room, yeah, I'll pull that out. Yeah, we've got all the clips, I've got all the nuts, I've got all the bolts, I've got all the washers, there's parts drawing right, I'm going to do it. That's simple. But to get there is granular as hell. So are you prepared to do the granularity? Most mine sites want the quick fix, not the hard granular fix. Now, every mine site I've ever worked at where we went down the granularity path, we arrived at simple. Oh, it's simple. Everything's in a box. Damn easy. Just grab the store, grab it. Yeah, there's my sheet. There's my list of parts. Sweet. I've even got pretty pictures that someone took the time to take, right, that a fitter put together. And so now this is, this, is, <laughs> this is a great concept. Do the granularity. You'll have your simplicity. I see very few people or leaders willing to go down the granular path. And, but see, this is the thing that they're missing out on. They're missing out the reward at the end. Because once you do that sort of work, you're the superstar on the mind side. Oh, this kind of came here and, and bang, look at his credibility equation. It's just gone through the roof. Because he came, he said he'd change it and he fixed it and it's wonderful. Man, it's simple. So granular, see the connection now between granularity and credibility. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just recently had this conversation and it was, your scope can't ever be too detailed. Because the more you can fill out up front, the more yeah. granular you get, the easier it is on the tail end. If you don't want to have to go through in the middle of a project, in the middle of trying trying to fix something, middle of trying to change your engine, and actually figure out how to change an engine, like no, spend the time and uh, figure out how to do it. Write it down. Build yourself if you're a fitter. Um, step-by-step instructions for doing it if you're somebody in the office let them build their step-by-step instructions before they actually go to do the job like i just share something with you so i had a job in a previous life at at another employer where i was to build a loader and i built two of them one was called signature series loader one and signature series loader two when we built those loaders i got the the two senior fitters in there they were Ford and the, uh, sorry, Daryl Fenny, James Ford, a couple of electricians and an apprentice. And we sat in a room and we mapped the building the front frame and the rear frame process in sticky notes on a wall. And we literally mapped it. Here's step one. And, and so wash the machine and then all the steps to wash the machine. Then what do you do? You bring it in, you put the bucket on the ground and you lift the front end up and put the the stands under and you lift the back end up of the crane and put the stands under and blah, 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 and then you take the bucket off. And, you know, we went through the process right through rebuilding the front frame, stripping it and building it, and rear frame strip and build. And to this day, they still use those documents because the fitness yeah. built them. That was the granularity. 
Now, straight away, we had a credibility appraisal because when we had customers come over there, what I call the build book, and I divide it into logical sections, the build book is the step-by-step -step process, and it's going to be the same for that loader now or in 10 years' time if they're making that loader still. So go through the granularity, get it done, hello, credibility is actually a consequence of granularity when you look at it that way. Yeah, and it's funny because um, when we're looking at doing the work, I, I hear it a lot of times. We got to let the mechanics, the fitters, we got to let them be creative. Like, yes. they, they don't get to be creative when they're actually executing the work. That needs to be controlled. That needs to be well understood. You don't need to tell them, hey, pick your three quarter inch wrench, turn it 45 no. degrees. Like, you no. don't need to get into that level. But what you do need to do is have a solid plan that they can execute on. And if you, if they're eager to get that creative piece, bring them in ahead of the job and say, okay, how can we do this job? Or better yet, how do we currently do this job? How can we do it better? And get that buy-in and that creativity so that they can execute on that plan they create. Yeah. Too often, I think we have the people executing the job and the people making the plans, not not the same people and, and i think it i think it hurts us way too often because again those people making that plan for those people that are executing it aren't credible in the eyes of those people executing that plan so they want to be creative because they know better and you know what they probably do yeah well it's funny you should say that at the end of that process when we mapped the front frame and the rear frame build for this underground loader i can still remember daryl Fernie because daryl is probably one of the smartest guys in this country on uh, 2,900 underground loaders. Actually, he would be. Um, he stood back and he looked at the map and he said, Dino, he said, I had no idea I kept all that in my head. That was his observation of his own intelligence. So where did his credibility just go? In his own eyes. Suddenly he realised, well, he's not, as, he's not dumb. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's really smart. And he... he he couldn't believe he carried that knowledge around in his head, and that's when the light bulb went off for me. I thought, how many fitters are on mine sites that have all these solutions and no one's tapped into it? And then I thought, well, if you look at it as a collective intelligence model, you, you've probably got a workshop with, say, four or 500 years' worth of experience. And what, you haven't tapped into that? That's madness. That's craziness. Tap into it. Get the guys in say, what do you need to do to this job? How does this start? How does this finish? I want to pull the torque converter out of that truck. Okay. What do we do? Well, we start in and, okay, yeah, sticky note. What's the next step? Sticky note. So what parts do you need? Well, I want all the mounting hardware. Typically, when we pull the mounting hardware out, a lot of people try to reuse it. No, don't do that. Bolts are cheap. Throw them away. Put new ones in. Put new seals in. Oh, while you're there, if you're pulling that out, should we change this bearing in the updrive? Yeah, well, we should change it. So there's a consequence thing that, you know, Daryl was like that. He thought like that. And you just go, wow, and people are not tapping into this? That's mad. So then all of that collective intelligence stuff and all of the stuff I learned by my doing it and also engagement with um, Daryl, I incorporated a lot of that into my thesis because I wrote a thesis on a 2,100 underground loader and it's livestock. And so there you go. Collective intelligence of someone else is in my model. Because it works, yeah. I've had a few people ask me, is it hard being a maintenance or reliability engineer, uh, specifically in the mining industry? I'm like, no, it's really easy. All you do is 
you, you walk under the floor, you ask the guy what the biggest problem is, <laughs> and you ask him how to fix it, and then you take every, you write down everything he says, and then you go do it. And again, that bullshit meter is important there, because um, <laughs> you know some ideas are great, but you do need to filter through some, some that maybe aren't so great. But at the end of the day, those people on the floor have the solutions that you need to be successful in your job. Hundred percent. Yeah, and that I think is the biggest missed opportunity. And I've, I've seen a divergence over the last thirty years, where uh, years and years ago, back in the nineties and stuff, that the leadership would listen to the fitters because there was quite a relationship. But as leaders went off and got stuck in process and behind computer screens and fitters over here, then all they did now is throw rocks at one another. And that's a great shame because if they learn to meet in the middle and tap in, um, there's a bunch of solutions. It's really easy. Hey, go if you walked into any workshop. And I went up to the biggest, boldest fitter there and said, mate, what are you sick of fixing? Oh, Dino, I'm sick of fixing steering cylinders on loaders. Over it. Changing steering cylinders all the time. Okay, there you go. This one of my top ten causes for you. What else? Oh, lift cylinders. Oh, God, we go through lift cylinders. You wouldn't believe how many lift cylinders. Start looking. Why is that happening? And then the engagement you get from those team members when you – start you don't even have to solve the problem but know that yeah. you're working on the problem and they're like this guy took me seriously and then yeah. you built your credibility and then the next time you have a question for any of the other guys down there or, yeah. or any of the other people um it's easy it's an easier conversation and every time and eventually you don't even have to go to the floor you still should but they just come to your office and say eh. they'll unload they'll, they'll tell you what's bothering them they'll tell you what they don't like about work and yeah. you know what you need to work on next. Um, so pretty simple. <laughs> it, it's not hard. Maintenance, maintenance, and reliability <laughs> just solves all the problems, right? And but it comes down to that psychology. It, it's you know it's the issues and everything that we're dealing with generally are our people problem, and the people know where those problems are and they know how to solve them. And, and so. So there's another topic that I really want to, we really need to talk about. It's the elephant in the room. People typically in this country are not good at it. People in general in society are not good at having really tough conversations. But here's, here's a conversation worth having, um, and it's around shitty people. If you've got shitty people in your organisation, what damage is it doing? And by shitty person, I go, the guy whose spirit motive intent is not aligned, he's not aligned to the organisation, he's certainly in it for himself, he rubbishes everyone behind their back and just does a lot of mayhem and damage. We need to find the shitty people and eliminate them. It's a, it's a really hard conversation because no one wants to do it because everyone's a bit scared because everything's politically correct and all this sort of business. But a good leader will spot them and go, hey, mate, you've got some behaviours I'm not really pleased with. How about we start working on them? And if he doesn't respond, by all means, get rid of him. Because it what damage is that person doing? And, you know, that is a, that's a really important point because you don't just get rid of them. No, they, no, they need, them. they need the opportunity. You need to help them. Yeah. Nobody starts a job. I guarantee you, whenever they started that job, they had high hopes. They had dreams. Yeah. They had, they were excited to start that job. So something yeah. happened yes. that made them not enjoy it. And the question yeah. is, can you can you bring it back to a state uh, where they're happy with their job? There's some yeah. people that 
you just got to call it. And, you know, whether it's well, you I, or them, it's much totally better. Agree if, with you. You've got to give them a chance to change because quite often the shittiest, most annoyed person who's really causing a lot of angst in your organisation is simply the most frustrated guy because no one's listening to him. Yep. And if you start to listen to him and incorporate some of the things he's saying, it's uh, probably quite valid, and then that will change his world and his attitude will change too. But um, I've seen that happen and, and I've, I've even helped people through that process. But I've we have to have a conversation about the God that's too far gone, <laughs> that no matter what you do, he's just causing angst and he's a bit of an anarchist, he's causing anarchy in your organisation. We need to face up to that and we need... We need to deal with that. Now, it's a horrible conversation. It's a horrible topic. And no one wants to talk about it and for risk of offending someone. But by all means, we might need to in order to make the organisation better. Um, I, wish I, could, I wish I saw leadership step up to this. I think leadership in the past decades did more than now, but everyone's kind of frightened now. Um, but this is, this is something that needs to be dealt with. Now, whether it gets dealt with or not, I don't care. But I'd love to see I've got two people who will be perfect for this episode uh, in the future. <laughs> and I think they're both, they're both down in Australia. So I'll, yeah. I'll get that scheduled for, for a follow-up, uh, but we are running out of time. So before okay. we, before we close out, I just want to give you the opportunity um, to give any plugs, any, anything you're passionate about that you want people to know about, um, any any upcoming events or conferences or anything like that you want to plug? Um, now's your chance. Oh, okay. So well, I work for a company called Acid On, and um, they've developed over the last few years a software called OnPlan. That's actually really good. That will help take the angst out of a lot of organisations because it goes from the Fermica, the failing mode effective criticality analysis, um, and it goes from that right through to the end of like it's an end for end solution. It's really very intelligent. Um, I'm a bit of an advocate for that because that's something I, I noticed during my studies that there wasn't there was a bunch of tools you could use collectively, but there wasn't one tool. And uh, I think uh, on plan satisfies that. And um, I've, I've written hundreds of documents inside of that software, um, and uh, I've watched them develop it and had a little tiny piece of input just on formatting and stuff. But it was. Uh, that was my plug, by all means. And the other plug is um, if you're liking what I'm hearing, by all means, contact Steve. We can have, uh, if you're liking what I'm saying, I'm saying, by all means, contact Steve or me. We'll reach out to Asset On and we're available to do other work. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, uh, I've seen the software. I, I actually really like the look of the software um, as well. It's um, so definitely support that plug and and asset on as well. I've had lots of conversations with, with a few people from there and uh, really top notch group of guys, uh, group of people. Sorry. Um, yeah. So thanks, Dean. Really appreciate your time. Uh, had a lot of fun f- fun on this episode um, and, and looking forward to chatting more. Yeah. Well, uh, the next episode we should do a group one. Hey, we will just bounce a lot of subjects around because there's lots to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> there's never a shortage. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time and thanks for reaching out. I appreciate it.